to For The Record. This is Lo-Fi's foray into the podcast world. Listen to me, Ozzy, while I learn how to podcast uh, with one of my oldest friends, Mike Borman. Uh, uh, Ibiza resident, DJ, uh, regular on the Ibiza scene. Uh, he's no stranger to, the, to this podcast world. He's uh, interviewed people almost as big as me, such as Locker Dice, Fatboy Slim, Andy Cater from Groove Matter. Morales Mor- as well. Anyone, anyone else? Old git. Um, oh, many others. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Like, like you know, the reason why I'm here is to uh, hopefully inject a bit of journalistic professionalism and standard in among Ozzy's inevitable, unprofessionalism. You're saying? Well, well, I wouldn't use a word like that because it isn't a word. But you kind of get, you know, you're getting to it. Quips, I would say. Like I'm the straight man in all of this, or that's the idea, anyway. Um, but we want to do more with this podcast than just the obvious, than just have people on telling their story. We want to build a wider narrative about the threats of the scene and also reasons to be cheerful about the scene, past and present. And I guess a, a big motivation for me here is that most podcasts are a load of shite. Let's be honest, Ozzy. I get so angry hearing these dry interviews. Ooh, so what are your influences? How did you get started? And by the end of it, all the listeners have got is like a Wikipedia entry of someone's career. Landfill, shite. We are not going to do that, are we, Owen? Are we not? I thought that's what we were doing. Uh, oh, oh, sorry to break it to you like this. I, I was hoping to add to the e- sea of averageness. <laughs> Not on my watch, mate. Um, and, you know, obviously, of course, we can talk about people's journeys. We are going to go into what made them, why are we getting them on the show as a guest, what did they do, but it's more about the human meaning of what they did and how did they feel when they did X and what can we learn from it and and how can the scene of today benefit from, from their wisdom? Because, you know, judging by the conversations that we have, one of your main motivating factors with this, Ozzy, is, is that you feel things have slipped a bit. Um, yeah, it's... Mo- <sighs> It's more that it seems, and so it's not rose-colored glasses because I wasn't here, but just looking at lineups and the amount of clubs there used to be, and um, the amount of festivals in the city, free festivals, all the parks, uh, New Zealand on air, music videos always, always on on the television. Um, yeah, it seems like something's gone a little bit backwards. Now, this isn't to say that our music scene isn't amazing, and it's always pushing. Uh, when the sum of all parts comes together, our music scene is fucking amazing. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, it is one of those things you have to look at the past so you don't make the same mistakes sometimes. Yeah. And it's also, I find it fucking interesting. So yeah. uh, that's the most important thing. It, I mean, it, it, of course, this is a bit of an excuse to tell stories, but we want to do more than that. We want to conclude, you know, the, uh, on some of the bigger issues. We want to talk about some of this stuff afterwards in the cold light of day 
and do some of these issues justice, like licensing, you know, outdoor events versus indoor events, things like that. Um, can, you know, was it even that good in the past? <laughs> What's your favourite snare drum? <laughs> mm, yeah. So let's move on to Yos specifically. Our very first guest, Yos. Langevelt, and uh, we've got to give him props. For... Is that how you say it? Are you yes, sure it that... is how you okay. say it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh... But you'll probably forget. Um, but <laughs> but what a legend! He's given away his studio, allowing us to do all of these episodes down at Big Pop. So big shout out to him. Yeah, it, absolute legend. Uh, and I haven't known him for that long. Um, it's this weird thing where um, he. He came on my radar because he re-released his uh, record labels, pre-releases digitally, and then uh, I started to do some reading and some digging, and it was like he'd been part of my life since I was about 15 without without him <laughs> even knowing who he was. Uh, he's been part of some of my favorite acts and produced some of my favorite music, and uh, they say don't don't meet your heroes but this one was was the other way like i wish i wish all my heroes were like this guy yeah uh, he's been so gracious amazing to talk to uh and so fucking generous and uh for someone that's done so much uh it's uh, uh, it's pretty pretty awesome to meet someone so humble yeah yeah it's touching that he's done this and, and it's quite clear you know we're not the only ones he's helping a lot of people with their careers and and, and that, that's a theme that I want to talk to him about. Um, and in, in, in the car on the way over here, you know, I, I was telling you my, my plan for the conversation. And it was kind of high-minded stuff, like music royalties, you know, how to game the Spotify system, what does he advise his artists to do, etc. Uh, and you just cut me off and you're like, nah. I want to know more about straw people. Yeah, cut you off with a yawn. <laughs> uh, so come on, like, like, what well, is it? What is it? You, what, what is the straw people fascination? With well, you? it was because uh, I discovered them. I think they're unsung heroes of our uh, music scene, uh, our electronic music scene. Now, I discovered I wasn't it was into my twenties before I discovered house and techno. Um, I was always a rock kid. Uh, and then later into more electronic stuff, dub and uh, down tempo and trip hop, and then making my way to house and techno. Uh, but in that time, I didn't realize that Straw People were an electronic music act. I thought they were just a music act, mm. same as all the rock bands I listened to. And then it was only when I learned some things about the electronic world that I realized that they they were producers. They weren't a band. They weren't DJs. They made electronic music and they never toured uh and yeah just yeah, one of why my, didn't they turn yeah i that, think yeah. it's amazing all these all these questions and also a lot of this was pre-internet so you couldn't just jump on google and, yeah. and figure all this out and then yeah to to realize that your musical you get to meet one of the people that make up your musical soundtrack mm -hmm. to your life is it's pretty yeah pretty big opportunity pretty and, and we're about to do just that um and and I, I mean, even, I mean, you mentioned there, there was no internet back then. Well, even the internet now, I've not found many answers about straw people. So I'm, so you've made me intrigued about this as well. Um, so 
Let's do the Wikipedia thing, right? You know, let, I want to list some of his achievements for those who don't know to save him having to list them, basically. Uh, so he came over to Auckland from Holland. I think he was a teenager. Uh, became active on the scene in the mid-80s, mainly playing the bass for various Auckland acts, including Straw People, as we said. Compulsory Allies, uh, Jules Issa, MCOJ, Rhythm Slave, did a bit of work with Greg Johnson, I think they're very old mates. Um, and then there was Nemesis Dub Systems and Subware, who did Disco Hoopla, which some people may remember. And that was his more electronic leaning. Um, then he got in with the Cog Transmissions Collective. They're probably going to come up in a few of our conversations, they seem to be a bit of a keystone. Um, and then, then he got on a lot of people's radars in, in Clubland uh, when he formed Reliable Recordings. Um, and that was the first label in New Zealand to focus on house music from New Zealand artists. Um, and that's, I assume that's how he first got on your radar. I mean, did you even know that he was behind it back then? No, 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 not at all. Like, it's only in the... Uh, he's also behind Greg Johnson, who people are surprised when they realise I love Greg Johnson. But I, outside of House and Techno, I listen to a lot of ballady fucking pop music that pulls on my heartstrings. So, <laughs> And Greg Johnson was one of them, and he was part of that. So, uh, Also, Juice, good beard. Uh, lots of microphones he owns. Yeah, what else can we say? <laughs> well, uh, I will carry on with the Wikipedia. Um, all the while, uh, when he was doing Reliable, uh, he was making a, a very good sideline. In fact, it was probably his main income, like making music for TV and, and film. Um, and he did the theme tune to the original Pop Stars, which is interesting, and then ended up working with, with True Bliss as a True result of that. True Bliss, New Zealand's own The Beatles. Yeah, I haven't dared listen to them. Like, I mean, should, am I missing out, Owen? Uh, you should. You should have done your research for this, for one. But uh, also, it's part of New Zealand's musical history. Well, it, also, Pop Stars kicked off all, all that whole uh, well pop the, idol and... All yeah. of that, like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. you've got to take your head off. Simon Cowell owes New Zealand rather a lot, it would seem. Yeah. The big twat. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, and, and he, he, he won, a, he's, he's won awards for his, uh, his, his composition of scores. He, 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 he did Being Eve, Beyond the Darklands, things like that. Um, and to the present day, got there in the end, he's curating music for um, the Les Mills, um, and Les Mills. Is it Les Mills? No, I think it is Les Mills, bro. <laughs> um, and it, and he's the co-director of Big Pot, where where we're sitting now, which just appears to be this excellent, welcoming thing, uh, studio space that basically he he allows artists to use quite often for free, and he's also a managing artist. So I want to talk to him a bit more about that um, and. And the bigger issues that we're going to tackle, you know, is is how do they make a living? You know, how do his artists make a living? Um, is it easier or harder now than it used to be, etc., etc.? Well, I think that's enough talking from us right now. Yeah, let's talk to someone else. <laughs> 
so we are here with Yoast. Welcome to the show. How is it going? I'm I'm very happy to be here, and it's going super super well. And it's such a pleasure to um, to be sitting in this chair. Splendid, splendid. So in our intro, we've waxed lyrical about the things you've done in the past, and we will touch on some of that. But what I'm most interested to know for now is what are you doing today? What is a day in the life? Starting with your view on breakfast, please. Uh, oh. And follow-up <laughs> question, your thoughts on cereal. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-breakfast. Uh, oh, so most definitely pro-breakfast. I'm uh, um, not big on cereal, though. My, my life starts with a bit of toast. Um, um, my zen space is, I keep some bees, so like there's always honey in the house, so butter, butter toast with honey. See, I it's, knew that was a yeah, it's, it's kind of my thing. <laughs> And, and, and a cup of coffee. So that's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, cereal for me has become a treat because uh, I'm trying to cut down on sugar. So yeah. it becomes an evening thing now. I'm like, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, wheat bix is healthy with honey. I'll just have that. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of honey, you're going to have to pick up some jars on the way home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is New Zealand, Mike. This is what, what happens. We go people for keep, and people keep bees. People keep and, bees. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, by the way, not that you asked me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I gave up on breakfast a couple of years ago. Life's been a lot easier without it. Anyway, now that we've got breakfast out of the way. <laughs> a, a day in the life of, well, you know, like I kind of, uh, I'm very fortunate that uh, even at, um, that I've been around for a bit, but I'm selective in music. So that my days still very much revolve around music and music production and coaxing music out of other people so that's kind of yeah in, in, a, in a broad sense it's kind of yeah, is, is, is my world um so we operate a recording studio with multiple rooms we run a record label we run a music publishing company so that's kind of loosely so this is big pop that's yeah? big pop yeah right. yeah yeah and so what how are you helping artists what are you doing with artists day to day Ah, that's that's a good question. Uh, and uh, on a very sort of fundamental level, it's making studio experiences available to them. So that um, when we work with people, the studios are kind of there for them to use. You know, there's no cost involved with that in terms of them having to cough up cash for that. Um, and then it sort of extends and depends on on the artist of where they're at in their career. Yeah, maybe a little bit of A and R input, maybe some life advice, some. Um, maybe some suggestions of who they might want to work with, collaborate with, maybe a different instrument or yeah, or, or, or producer to kind of work with. Those kind of things, really. Here, yeah. but where, where's the money coming from now? Now that the now that Spotify's music's free, basically. Yeah, no, totally. So, um, I I know that the like a, a label contract from back in the day to now is different. So who's pay, who's paying you for? studio time like if there's no albums and who and, pays the rent right yeah, yeah who, totally. who's paying obviously it's not the artists who's who's paying you for your time and, for and, the, yeah and you're totally right and it's, it's not the artists and it's actually not the music that, that they create as well so i mean that whole the label side is yeah has a high level of altruism yeah, attached to it we're super super fortunate that um we have a few commercial clients that that paid pay the bills. So we kind of do some audio post production. We do a lot of com- composition for specific purposes. So we will create music for particular uh, outcomes. So that kind of pays the bills. It also that also ties in a little bit with how we can deal or monetize or help 
artists monetize their work as well so we can either license some of their music into those places which in which case they get paid some money or if their producers or top line artists actually get them to write or co-write works that can be worked into that um, into that space as well usually that's fully anonymous so it doesn't really impinge on their artist life but it does allow them to earn some money on the on the side as well so taking your business out of it do you if you look at it from an outside perspective with uh the spotify thing and there's no money in music like music was always like when i was a kid it was always free anyway because we would tape tapes like we never paid for music yeah and then we would we would buy albums if we really like if we really got into someone that um Obviously, that's not, even that's not done now. So, like, if you can take the income away from it, do you think that's a good thing, or do you think, like, there is value in money and we yeah, should? Yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it, it is a terrible thing. So, like, yeah, if we start start on the negative, I mean, if I go back to you know, sort of the sort of mid late nineties for, for in my personal journey, I mean, we would sell CDs and we do you know, little limited run stuff if we did a thousand that was a good that was a good run but we used to get 10 bucks a 10 bucks a unit wholesale that was kind of yeah roughly yeah 10 11 950 whatever so you, on, on on small releases there'd be there'd be 10 grand coming through the system which would allow you to do things uh, and that's kind of gone so you're kind of really annihilating that kind of that real base that base amount of money that you can ten grand of, in the 90s as well that's oh a, yeah that's yeah, a yeah. and pulsar yeah yeah, yeah 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 so true i mean it, it never goes far enough but at least you could afford to pay studio time you could you know you could pay for artwork you could make maybe make a music video if that was required all that kind of stuff was kind of covered um, in New Zealand now, so to, um, in terms of where money comes from, I mean, we're kind of like there's a, there's a lot of government funding, so there's there's definitely um, and, and that's super helpful uh, for for some artists and um, um, and then the other side is sort of really much more in that publishing kind of space. So there there, there are still places where uh, music generates income. Um, but I want to dig into this. Yeah. So the equivalent of of you, the, the you know fresh off the boat, so to speak, comes over to New Zealand or they're just making their way in in the Auckland scene. How do they make money? Let's say making credible electronic music like you were involved with in the 90s. Yeah, totally. I mean, sort of, yeah, big question, that one. How do you you go about that? I think one thing, and yeah, especially since we're, yeah, we're talking a lot about DJ culture and, and, and electronic music in particular, um, if you are a um, a music creator, like a, a producer that, that creates um, yeah, recordings and DJs play them, I mean, there's actually, and they play them in a nightclub, there's money being generated, there's a royalty being generated in that, in that club space. Clubs pay... Um, money to collection societies for um, the privilege of being able to basically sell alcohol against the music. So there is a, there's very much a transaction there. And those numbers can be quite, can be reasonably significant. Yeah, right? what's that, That what's the name of that? What's oh, the... Performance royalties or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You, uh, festivals have to... Yeah, totally. Have, some of the festivals kind of started trying to put it on the artists that are playing i know and, and that's like, a just bad culture yeah I think, but yeah. yeah i think so yeah. i think so as well like if you if you're making money off djs which we which we do as lo-fi um like if if 
yeah, it is someone's livelihood you're paying for. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I'd say, I would argue with lo-fi. I mean, if you say if you're putting it on in a club, it's actually the, it's actually the venue that 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 should pay that. Yeah, and you'll take that tax department. You're not getting my yeah. money anymore. <laughs> yeah, but you but you're gonna have to need to make a huge amount of music for nightclub plays. Or yeah, to, I mean, in a way, I mean, I, I I do actually have a little case study if you if you're remotely interested. In in yes. the nineties, yeah. I was uh, I made music with a couple of mates um, uh, called uh, under the Unitone Hi-Fi moniker, which was kind of yeah, in the two thousands was largely dormant and didn't really do very much. But then um, we did a um, um, a show at uh, Auckland's Laneway Music Festival, and we obviously logged our performance yeah, with "Hey, we've played these songs." So being able to see kind of what those songs generated in their back end, and they kind of all on um, uh, an event that probably sold maybe eight thousand tickets, something like that. That, that were pro- that was worth about a hundred bucks a track. So on top of our fee that we charged, but just purely for that performance royalty. So look, I think if you do big festivals, shit, there's, there's, there's definitely money in that. Yeah. And so and so are the people that you're working with now that are getting by in that way? Mm, I'd say m- m- um, most artists that I work with do other things for money, so it's it's still very much yeah, about... Th- this yeah, is, this is the great heartbreak. This is a lot of the reason why we do lo-fi's. Uh, like it's only it wasn't that long ago that i thought that um like djs that produced if they got a tune out on beatport then they were living the high life they mm. were in ib for an mansion <laughs> and it was only when i kind of took a step back and was was like man a lot of my friends are the most talented people in new zealand they still have day jobs yeah totally and so that's we've a lot this goes back to um artists and djs not valuing their worth uh, and we'll go into this, like, well, what happened? Because because there was a sharp U-turn somewhere where the value in our craft is, has been taken away. For Some of it for is our own fault, so, so, and some of it not. So um, you're basically asking, where did it all go wrong? Yeah, well, yeah, well, where did it all yeah, go where did wrong? It, yeah, yeah, where did it go wrong? Yeah, where did it go wrong? For those listening, this is uh, Ozzy from Lo-Fi, who loves House and Techno. So there'll be a lot of these questions and angles. But yeah, the, the, I think you're talking about a very specific point in time, that 2003 point, yeah, that two, 2002 to 2005 was the rise of... of, of, of of a drug that wasn't that conducive to socializing um so i i think that's definitely one thing but i think i think it's a perfect storm of many things so i mean yes that's one thing because i think people ended up just staying home or their routines just became different and no longer about music as much yeah um i think um a few other things kind of change as well in a local sense. I mean, like you rightly pointed out, the, um, the licensing laws changed, which means clubs closed earlier, um, which which wasn't that helpful. Uh, but I also think that in terms of the more outdoor or the party scene, like the more warehousey kind of thing, is that the onus of um, the risk of running a, a, an event was move from the promoter to the landlord therefore the landlords didn't want to rent out warehouses anymore for events either so so that killed that killed a bunch of stuff and then the other thing is that yeah the connection between uh the music creators and the music djs changed and the culture of uh, the cult of personality around dj 
became a big thing that yeah definitely the, the whole 2000s was a rise of superstar djs yeah um nothing wrong really much wrong with that but that also kind of made i would put myself in that category <laughs> yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah like I, I said yeah yeah i, I, I remember your phone i'm talking yeah, in front of mix mag and a few other places right yeah. <laughs> but you know it's it's um, that kind of changed a lot of the culture it sort of also meant that promoters started bringing bigger names sucking a few more dollars out for bigger fees all that kind of all these little things all added to to where i think we sort of ended up um yeah mm. so okay yeah and, we, we, and, and napster yeah the value of music yeah obviously yeah, the, yeah, plummeting yeah that, that that's all the, that's yeah the i also find it funny that that uh, that the so so 2002 2003 four five was the rise in ableton and overseas the bedroom producer uh, that was when you the 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 link between a producer and a dj was solidified you have to be a producer to be a dj mm. and and most people took that and ran but in new zealand it, it seemed it didn't happen like we, we have a big even now we have a big divide where um the the djs and producers the the there's not that many producers. There's not that many that have stood the test of time as well. No, you said um, I've got a few ex- exceptions, like a Simon Flower or someone like that. Yeah, who've been yeah, consistently but, really yeah. awesome. At, um, and now yeah. new, like Jonas Sanoy, mm. like absolutely yeah. crushing and much needed. But but it seems to be to be. I, I don't know if, and I'd like to get your thoughts. Is that that it is was being done and it was just. There was no money, and it was too, or it's too hard no, to get signed, uh, well, or uh, yeah. that just was never there, and and for some reason Kiwis didn't just pick up on the DIY ethos of of pro- producing in the bedroom. I think, I th- well, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a that's a tricky question, or like a hard one to answer, and yeah, in, in a few words. But I think of a few kind of things. I think DJ culture definitely in that sort of mid two thousands was kind of. Um, there were quite a few DJs who were at a point in their career where that was probably not an option for them. So they, were, they weren't beginning and they weren't starting out. Yeah. They were, yeah, they were DJs and great DJs. Yeah, um, and producing was just another thing that didn't really happen yeah. for them. And and to be clear as well, this isn't doom. This isn't looking back with no. like I I think that things are much better now. Our, our, our palette for for music is a lot better and the production and production values and the sound is a million times better than it was back in the day. Uh, 100%. Uh, I, 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 I agree. With yeah. You so it's not, we're not looking back like where did it all go wrong? It's not that good anymore. It's like, it's just that, that it, it does seem that there is something missing. And, and for us, it's like, especially as lo-fi, it's like, well, we don't want to make those mistakes again. Like we're trying to nurture talent. Yeah. Um, how, what, what do we need to do in the future to make sure that, um, the talent is nurtured and and how do they get paid for for what they're doing yeah yeah yeah. on on that theme about bedroom producing something that's that i'm curious about in your past is that when you started mixing in electronic music circles here and releasing music how did you actually do it because the engineers the studios wouldn't have been geared up to make electronic music no not at all and, and you know like, i mean i've been really really fortunate because kind of the, the shifts in technology have been my friend all the way along <laughs> if i go back to when i first started um studios were tape based you know there was nothing yeah. digital yeah everything was kind of very very analog and unless you were a good player then you weren't really getting much yeah worth worth um worth jack shit. 
and really my transition from being a musician because I started up being a bass player in band so that was kind of my entry into music um, my transition into the studio kind of space was really was at a time when MIDI became yeah MIDI was invented in 1983 by the mid 80s late 80s that was well ensconced and a lot of synths like the Jupiter 6 behind you for example could be retrofitted with MIDI which meant you could slave those machines to reel-to-reel tapes and that was kind of my 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 entry because for some weird reason my brain kind of worked I could make I could make things I could machine I could make machines talk with each other yeah. so that was kind of my my entry into into, into that space um, and then yeah early early computers yeah the Atari ST and 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 a variety of software so that was that was a really big thing so there was a big shift from purely analog into still largely analog um, but being able to kind of program synths and stuff like that and then the the the, uh, the 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 next big thing which really happened around about that late 90s kind of sort of period is when uh sorry no actually but uh, talk a little bit earlier um the uh, the 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 very late 80s early 90s is sampler technology become, becoming affordable which kind of sort of negated the need to use reel to reel like my personal journey at that time was well i no longer need to book a studio that cost me at that point 65 bucks an hour or whatever it was i can actually just kind of be in a room and i can sample i've got a minute of sample time and that's enough for me to kind of cut tracks with i can play a little bit of bass riff i can record a snippet of vocal or whatever yeah there's a docker i think there's a docker that dave grohl did about the studio city and uh mm. He was saying yeah, that that's great. When that's great. He was like when samplers came along and the computers came along, it was like that's when it got boring. And Trent yeah. Reznor came on and was like, "Oh man, when samplers came along, that's when things got fucking yeah. interesting." Yeah. I, I, I would trend all the way. Yeah, yeah so it's totally. it's, yeah. it is funny how some because it, it kind of liberated us. Because if, if 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 I think back to the eighties, what studios were like, they had fucking shit gear. Yeah, really, yeah. it was really hard to make things sound reason. Yeah, remotely okay. Yeah. Uh, because it was expensive, uh, there was a lot of import duty on stuff. Yeah, Muldoon, yeah, you know, whatever. There was, it was just a really. There weren't there weren't great studios anywhere. It wasn't until much later that some decent studios opened up. But the technology change in technology opened yeah. up. And world. in the end, it empowers people yeah. who don't have who haven't mastered the art to make brilliant art. And some of the best creativity comes it's out of that wonky. blindness. Totally. I mean, it's really funny because we're, we're here in the studio, right? So this is Alan Jensen's old studio. And the first time I met Alan Jensen was in in about 1998. And I did a, I cut a tune called Disco Hoopla, which was on the very first compilation of Reliable. And it was kind of sort of, it was kind of the impetus to start that whole, kick, kick that whole thing off. Um, but he contacted me and I'd never met him before. And he says, how did you do it? And I said, fuck, I don't know. What? And he, and he goes, you got to come to my studio. And I came into this room where we are now, and he had a, a, a graphic EQ in his rack, and that rack right behind you right there, actually. And on that, in chalk, he had the perfect EQ curve. He said, your track, yeah, he played the track. He said, look, it's all inside the curve. I said, I don't know. It was an accident. Brilliant. Yeah, he may have just been hitting on you. Oh, he may have been like, maybe. this guy's a kitty. How can I speak to him? I, I Get him into my world. But, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was an accident. Yeah. I, I didn't do anything particularly yeah, brilliant. I had pretty shitty gear. I didn't. 
Um, yeah, yeah. With, with, with I always say that housing techno is more punk than punk. Yeah, it's supposed to be 100%. This big DIY, do yeah. everything yourself. But housing techno has always done it more. Mm. Everything from the from the gigs to the sound systems to the studio, it, it's always been like do it do it yourself for good. And yourself. and and I really like that analogy because that's kind of the era I grew up in musically. Yeah, my early early yeah exposure was to punk music. I don't have older siblings. For me, that was my entry into music. And then when I played with Greg and Paul from Straw People, it was sort of in that punky, scar kind of period of that early 80s kind of vibe where, yeah, the specials, extensions of, yeah. So it was kind of wonky, political sort of, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. then and then I, I went deep into reggae. That was kind of my lane. So beat music has always been, yeah, pretty big for me. Which is, re reggae's not, I don't find this far away from techno. No, nah, shit, no. no it's, man. um... The way that they mix things and remix, it's yeah, not hypnotic repetition. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Spacey, spacey yeah. sounds, lots of reverb, Mi minimal. Yeah. yeah, you name it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Um, and even if you go the, the, much later, but things like basic channel or something yeah. like that, which yeah, what is it? Is it dub or techno? It's yeah. it's, it's it's both. Yeah, it's um, it it it. it um, yeah, let's carry on from there. So so I, I'm a uh, massive straw people straw people fan, and so. How did you? What, so, what were you doing for Straw People? I well, know you well, 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 Straw People kind of started in. Uh, I, I went overseas in '85, and Straw People had kind of started in '85. So I, I kind of, um, and that was the end of the band that Greg and Paul and I were in. So, um, so and Straw People was two people, uh, Paul and uh, Mark Tierney. Um, they were, and Mark Tierney at that point was the, uh, he made the ads at BFM. And I've got a deep history with that little studio, Studio B, they used to call it. And they just used to, yeah, it was a eight-track recorder. And the very first sampler, which was a, a and Sonic Mirage, which is an awful piece of shit. But, like, <laughs> I mean, they were, some of the, those tunes were kind of made just before I left. But really, the really experimental stuff, I think the very first album was half cut there and then uh, when I came back three years later they'd sort of they'd been mucking around for a while and uh, and and they really pulled me in, into a lot of studio sessions because essentially Straw People was, was a studio band yeah or, or a studio act just while we're on B uh, Mike is is finding BFM pretty pretty awesome yeah oh that's awesome it is it's it's the it's, eclecticism it's yeah like that, New Zealand radio is, is fucking terrible. It is fucking BFM, terrible. Yeah. BFM is like it wallows in its terribleness. Oh, like, it's it's amazing. And I love BFM because it's the only place where I find music that I go, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Too fuck, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's 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 utterly polar. But that's uh, we quite often refer to it as the place where uh, where people who can't be anywhere else go. Yeah, they go yeah. to BFM. Yeah, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I get this sinking feeling when I'm driving out to festivals. You know, an hour or two out of Auckland, or driving out to, to the cricket in Tauranga, BFM starts to shit out <laughs> yeah, within about an hour, <laughs> yeah. and I'm bereft. I, su I suddenly have to flick through, and there, there's some, there's a couple of really religious stations out yeah. there. Uh, Especially yeah, our my daughter has latched on to. Oh, amazing! Uh, She's uh, been shown the way. Well, yeah, so let's, let's let's go back to strawberries. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and I, so back to people. I, f I found it. I find their story amazing. That they, yeah, they weren't musicians. This was they. They were pioneers. They, yeah. they, it was all computer based, right? Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, um, 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So samples, but then also being really kind of clever in engaging with musicians. So, um, um, and sort of I was quite open to um, being edited. Yeah, because that, that, yeah, particularly Mark was very, yeah, particular what he wanted. So I was, okay, here's a whole bunch of shit, cut it up, do whatever you want. That's pretty yeah. unusual, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet he's worked with many other people that were not so yeah, open well, to I, th- I think that's why we were, I mean, we, we were flatmates for a while as well. So, I mean, th- th- there were multiple layers to, to, to our friendship, but it's, um, but he was very much like that. And some people would exactly, oh, yeah, you cut up my vocal, and I don't like what you've done. But most people, would, yeah. So, so what were what were they listening to to get to their sound? Because, uh, they, because I, 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 th- I think uh, what's the um, there's there's actually one. There's one. Click your fingers a couple more times. It'll yeah, come. yeah. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> um, oh shit! The guy's called Green, but the actor's called. It'll come to me. I'll have to fill you in. There's Peter yeah. Green that was in Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> no, 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 not that one. Not that one. I've got. Yeah, I'm going to Google it while we talk. Not so all like, Greens yeah, are yeah. the same, you know. You're racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Peter Peter Green lost his mind. He did, he, but it kind of came yeah, back. Yeah. Like it, like he toured not that long. I don't know, five years I ago. I wouldn't call that a comeback. That was almost forty-five years ago. Yeah, all right. Five years took, ago. Took I'm him back. a while. Took took him a while. Yeah, he was in South America for many years, wasn't he? Lost on acid in a commune. Um, but anyway, it's gone from my it's gone from my brain for now. Well, a bit like uh, but Peter there was a, yeah. but but, uh, but there was one song that was that. That encapsulated all that. And actually, yeah, um, yeah, there's multiple. But, it's, it's too far gone. But, but yeah. did you not see the money-making potential of contriving a live act out of straw people? Like, yeah, like New I mean, Order, I mean, I mean, that was never really kind of my call to make. And um, um, there were there were live performance. So, so this is what they're famous right. for, right? Yeah, yeah. This is, they're famous for never playing live or there were there was one gig that goes down in folklore new zealand folklore uh that it was an absolute disaster mm. i think it wasn't as much of a disaster as was made out to be this is your chance to right the wrongs well you know it's um um <laughs> well what happened was there was a yeah straw people had built up a reputation and had become quite successful so they kind of um there were, there were a lot of eyes on on the act so a gig attracted a lot of attention and it was at the old glue pot which is on yeah three lamps long gone now but um a venue that probably holds or held 600 people 700 people they're chunky chunky enough and it was full and uh the drummer didn't hear the click track so yeah because it was all electronic everything got a bit wonky and out of sync uh i felt i felt it got yeah we we still pulled it off yeah but yeah and and so did that mean that you were definitely not going to do that again over your dead body kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, like I said, there was probably more Paul and Mark's um, um, uh, Mark and Paul's kind of call. Um, but what what year mine, was yeah. this? What was? Oh, uh, so yeah, that would have been maybe eighty nine. So, so this was later. well before DJ Culture. So yeah, well, DJ culture was definitely there because you, you go, you know, the history of the box and of uh, Club Roma and Berlin Club, which I used to love going to. So they're, they're all mid 80s kind of sort of, uh, and, so and, what, a, and a six month club. Yeah. Was, was it a crossover? Like, what, what was the party scene? What, 
They were DJ clubs. I mean, yeah. occasionally, I mean, I kind of, um, um, because at the same time as Straw People, I was in a duo with Eddie Chambers um, called Nemesis Dub Systems, and we kind of just, it was pretty, it was a drum machine and a couple of cents, and yeah. It was kind of whatever, yeah. And you wonder why you But we did, yeah, we did semi-live shows, and yeah, we played the box a bunch of times. So there's kind of those kind of. And so, what was the party scene like? Then was it was it was it drug fueled, alcohol fueled? What were people? Yeah, no, really good, really good question. So, like, I mean, the first the first MDMA that I sort of clocked was '88. So, like, that was kind of the beginning of that period, and there was there was a pretty fast rise after that. Yeah. So so. I've heard it said by other people, just me reading up on the New Zealand scene, that drug culture was not as fundamental to DJ culture as it was in, say, uh, English cities and yeah. US cities. But what you're telling me there is it's, it's exactly the same time it's, as what I, was going I, I, on. I don't either. think it was as fully ensconced. I mean, drugs right. are always expensive. Definitely the ones you kind of wanted. Yeah, a, a weed and speed were, were not. Were not. But yeah. um, MDMA. Yeah. Some things never change. By the way, some things never change. Still yeah. expensive, and kids don't do. Yeah, drugs. don't, don't yeah. do drugs. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. cost too and, much. And my yeah. kids, my kids in particular, don't even listen to yeah. this. Okay. <laughs> or if you're gonna do it, do it somewhere in Europe where it's yeah. a bit cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and that whole idea of uh, yeah, yeah, of that being affordable. Uh, so that, um, at the same time, I do definitely think that um, uh, marijuana had a very big influence on on definitely the 80, 80s music uh, culture. Um, the influence of of reggae, that Pacific reggae or Pacifica reggae kind of whatever you want to call that, had a, had a big big vibe going on, which kind of also kind of leads me to the kind of next thing, which is kind of. Um, if I look at the late '80s, early '90s, it was a it was a melding of uh, urban um, arty kids, and I probably throw myself into that kind of space a little bit. Um, then with Rastafarian community input, Twelve Tribes of Israel kind of stuff, and a whole bunch of yep. Um, Basically, hip hop kids from South Auckland. There was a real community around, yep, around K Road and downtown, where those communities all came together. Parties would be thrown with old school Twelve Tribes of Israel and some DJs and some some rappers from Greyland or yeah, all that kind of stuff. These things all happened a lot. Yeah, that that kind of party vibe, which wasn't exclusively DJ, but very much based around that kind of sound system culture. They were definitely a big thing. And what did the wider public think of this? Were there big scare stories and moral uh, panics? No, not, not, not like if, if you kind of you're looking for a comparison to the UK in yeah. terms of warehouse parties and, and raves going out of control. There wasn't really a lot of that. And I'd say that probably didn't really hit us until the uh, more the 90s when um, yeah, things like the gathering on top of the hills, people going, yeah, yeah, losing them noggins on on magic mushrooms and and all yeah out and out in the bush kind of vibe um so that that didn't really that didn't really that didn't really hit us here i mean it was definitely conservatism and all that kind of stuff but it didn't really get too out of control it's pretty surprising that, that yeah. surprises me a lot yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I mean one of, one of the intri- one of the ironic things about the uh, the government clampdowns and the moral panics was that it just added more fuel to the fire for mm. those who were into it because they felt that they were subverting and and that they were stealing a march on convention in a punky way like like we were talking about before. So when you were in this, did you feel that you were subverting? Uh, you know, like it's because um, we're talking about that late eighties, early nineties kind of period at the moment. I mean, it was high unemployment, um, so a lot of kids or you know, younger people with plenty of times on their hands, and it was also a lot of um, there's a lot of creativity around that as well. So people would collaborate on magazines, on on mm. on films on, on on music so that, that that whole scene was really strong like if you uh, look at people like russell brown i don't know if you ever clocked him but he's a, he's a he's a journalist but he was very much involved with the k-road scene of that late 80s early 90s in terms in terms of yeah a putting on parties but b yeah starting uh, a planet magazine which became other things yeah there was there was a there was a culture around all that so he, here's yeah. the thing this is this is what i think has happened a lot with our music scene is, is the culture has been neglected hence why we're doing this podcast uh i, I think that th- that side is just as important as as the rave side or the de- or a, being I, a dj it's been missing the, the, the magazines are gone people's opinions are gone the the we were talking before uh, mike was asking me like how did you get your DJ education, and I was like, a lot of it was like mix mag CDs. Hmm. They were so like yeah, they were great. So someone that was yeah, into, man. And, and now kids don't have that. They they've got so much at their fingertips, they can't see what they have. No. Um, and our music scene is like, you, I always say that like, like our voice is important. If we don't use it, then someone else will use it for you. Oh, so I was talking to, about uh, that today about you know who who tells history. Yeah. Because uh, uh, yeah, having been around for a bit, I see stories being told. Oh yeah, that's largely true, but it's there's a whole other side to this that's not been said. You know, yeah. Like and uh, and also, yeah. We, we, also, like all my friends and DJ, we're all like they're we're all like afters. Everyone's hilarious. Like mm. everyone's got a story, and it's like. Yeah, that that I think that has a big it, repercussion <clears throat> for for what's happening in industry when things start going downhill. Is this? I think what you're describing is sort of that in the moment experience, that kind of um, that moment or that period of time where you could go to a certain club and meet like-minded people and mm. be turned on by a certain music. Um, and, and 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 kind of building that community because um, I think one thing that's happened now is that that idea of globalization, which just sounds really attractive. You know, the fact that you can you know, release a song and it's on Spotify and it's around the world and or SoundCloud or whatever whatever you want, um, but nothing really beats being able to put on a party and having real people. Yeah. dance together the, the or, or enjoy it, music together whatever, whatever it is the, the best way i've heard it described is by guy richie who's a filmmaker and he was he 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 was he was funny enough doing a podcast and he was wearing a suit and he was like why why are you wearing a suit to come to a fucking podcast like it's hot and he's like well this was tailored by my local tailor and he's like well why why yeah why are you wearing it dude like 
and he's like well this is this is a tradition uh and it's a culture that if we don't take pride in it then it'll be gone and it's the same with i go to my local butcher i got uh, i brought my local pub uh these are this is all our culture that if we ignore it, it's going to go it'll, away. It'll disappear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so I and, feel like yeah, that does yeah. happen with 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 everything in a, in New Zealand music that we're like. Some of it is better because there is so much music out there, but then it's and it's too accessible and it's not valued anymore. It's it's, it's just not not exclusive anymore, and it's actually not to do about the money. I, I mean, I, I when I talk to younger artists now, I talk about process and. And and measures of success, money's never one of those because money's not really one that is actually that achievable. It, it's uh, true. And it almost never was to it, be it fair never, never to was. people no, totally, starting yeah. out. But then suddenly they once they were full time, mm. money had to be a measure because that was what was paying their bills. But it's always it's always been a hustle, right? I yeah. Because yeah. I, I I use this analogy a little bit too because at the moment, like. Um, <clears throat> I make a little bit of money from Spotify, a little bit, yeah, because old catalogs are taken on. How dare you? But you know, it's I oh, know how dare I. It's it's disgusting. I mean, I, I, I feel soiled even just kind of talking about it. Um, but yeah, that might be five hundred bucks a year. I never got five hundred bucks a year back in the day for anything I did. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, it was always kind of yes, I might be playing a live show and get paid some money for that, but it was never about the recorded side. You've tapped into something that's a potential positive, which is the. Uh, accountability that the technology can offer now mm -hmm. where you don't have to defer to the honesty of a record label or a distributor to pay the royalties so let's let's get down this positive trade yeah now, cool okay so the artists of today how would how would you how are you advising them to game the current system game the system that's a good that's a good one i wish there was a i wish there was a game um Really, um, I think. Well, I think a lot of things. I think being able to be in charge of their process. So, a, they feel really good about what they do. That's that's paramount. Yeah, like, I mean, making the music you want to make is that's kind of uh, non-negotiable. Um, I think beyond that, it's it's not expensive to make music anymore. Essentially, most people can just. Have a reasonably expensive, uh, inexpensive laptop, some software, and, and you can, you can, you yeah. you can you can make music. You don't need synths. You don't really need them. I mean, they sound better, but does it make any difference? I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Ultimately, it's it's just an experience, really. Um, so I think the the generation costs are down. So you're not spending a thousand dollars on studio time. You can do that in your bedroom. Um, so beyond that, it's kind of yep. Um, it's how it's a gift and a curse so like what does it mean to be an artist i think it's no longer good enough just to make great music you need to do more than that you you also need to be pretty good with social media or you need to be really fucking good with social media so you need to yeah you need to understand the basic concepts or principles of marketing um and and how to elevate yourself and make yourself investable yeah how do people why do why should people listen to you? Why should people book you for gigs? Why should this people is, do anything? So this, all those things are really crucial. This is exactly what I say to DJs as well. It's like New Zealand is a very small scene. It's a microclimate. Um, it's not that 
compared to the rest of the world, it's not that hard to get on top and get gigs. No, totally. So two things. One is people think that if you're getting gigs, and especially if you're getting paid, you're doing better than 99% of most DJs. And a lot of DJs look at it and it's like, oh, I'm only playing once a month and I'm not playing festivals. And it's like, dude, you're crushing. Yeah. You, you, you're doing really well. Um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that thing where it's like, the thing with New Zealand is it's like, our music our scene isn't that big. It's really good. But you have to pick a lane. You have to pick something and do more than just... There's a million DJs playing in their bedroom. You've got to do something more. And I don't know what that is. And I don't know how to market. We're so, trying to figure it out, figure it out ourselves. Uh, I, I agree. And, and I, just kind of taking a step back, because we're talking a lot about Spotify. And Spotify is kind of a beast all onto its own, really, in a way. Um, but I think if you talk about... DJ culture, and it's, I had this conversation a bit with 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 um, with people that do actually DJ. So, where do you buy your songs that you play? Uh, yeah, and obviously, there's your beatboards and your Junos and your track source and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, there is still a way where you can turn over some money in those spaces. And yeah, you know, kind of uh, our recent release, I think, did about two thousand paid downloads on on track source. That means that that's great. That's good. That's really good. Uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, that means that that whole project is paid for. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually paid for itself, which is unusual. Yeah, yeah in all in all reality, um, so th- there are ways to kind of think about that. Can you game the system? You can a little bit because you can kind of play with those internal charts a little bit. So you can go well. You can buy a few and kind of pump some things up and make sure. Yeah, I'm on the soul house or I'm on the tech house or. And you can start using that as promotional kind of tools. Go, hey, look, we're number three on the blah blah, or with this or that. It's because it's, that kind of stuff breeds success. Yeah, it does breed success. Um, I think the other thing too, and this is my personal thing, is kind of do leverage the old school with the new school. Um, the reason we did two thousand downloads on that one track is because Eric Kappa is did the remix right yeah you go the dude is a legend so yeah, that's yeah. kind of you, we love eric copper yeah. it's kind of it's, you, you 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 kind of go you're from the big, very beginnings you, you're pulling someone in and, and you're dealing with something that's that's reasonably fresh and it's kind of i do think that sort of um intergenerational connectivity which I, i've always felt that club culture had in spades anyway you know that to me i mean the people i learned from or the people i hung out with when i was young way older than me and i still yeah i still occasionally rave out now and i go there's people that are older than me now i always and, and a lot of people younger than me, but, yeah. it like and now i'm of getting off that age where it's like if i see people i'm like i can rave for that long. yeah yeah totally but right. I, I took I totally there was a point where i was like i'm gonna have to become a dj because i don't want to be the crusty old guy at the back of the club yeah i can be djing at 90 and i'm fucking yeah. good yeah, and, and and i i literally know people in their 70s who kind of yeah on occasion will yeah. push the boat out and <sighs> yeah and, and i think that's beautiful to me that's inspirational yeah go yeah or, yeah, or aspirational, yeah I've, it's funny way. i had this conversation with my wife the other day and she was like you're you you know you have a shelf life as a dj like you're not the rolling stones and i was like yeah i don't know uh, but yeah. i'm you our music isn't old enough to tell yet. Yeah, it's only th- thirty years, and we're already seeing like the last generation s- still raving. Mm. And it's not we like I do understand when when I was twenty and if there was someone that was my age and forty three, like in the scheme of things, I'm about halfway through if I'm fucking lucky. Yeah, uh, but that's not that, that's the norm now. But that was that was a big thing. That brings me to another point of that that was. 
in New Zealand, um, club culture and dance culture, it, it finished. It finished at thirty. You stopped going. Oh, there, there, there was definitely, nothing you, for you. You're going back to those two th- that two thousands. Yeah, period, for sure, man. That, yeah. Like that's what that's what it was. Only when I went, to, like it was but what, the, partly why I started. But, but I, 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 th- I, th- I think what happened here, and and it probably happened in, in other places in the world as well, from that early two thousands on. You had the deification of DJ. You had the kind of brand alignment of fucking this kind of makeup or this fucking drink. Yeah, it became very heavily sponsored, and yeah, so that brought out okay. Well, modelers walking around this beer, so therefore, it attracted a different kind of audience, and yeah. I think that changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it took a lot of the, the the heads or the whatever the the the, the old school. Yeah, it didn't out, evolve. Out, out like that that, that's a, that's the, that, like that's. That's what we did with Lofa. Was that people wanted more than a big sound system and water. Like people mm. actually wanted. Oh, we want someone to sit down. It yeah. sounds very fucking like what old people like. Oh, I need someone to sit down, uh, and see. I need some beverage. But it, but it's true. Like it, we, we, I would go to Australia and see all the stuff, and I was like, this is so fucking obvious. Like, yeah. why isn't anyone doing this in New Zealand? Like, I, I used to love, it. and this this goes back to the late eighties. Those early parties always had a chill zone. Yeah, where they played the orb. Yeah, yeah. Love the orb. Yeah, fucking just lie in a beanbag and just bliss, bliss out for an hour or so. Awesome. And and that music has aged brilliantly. Oh, it's, it's still awesome. It, is, it yeah. still does the same job yeah. as it always yeah. did, and I think that's great. It, the it, it still gives you uh, yeah. orb age. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Discuss. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they have to, for breakfast either. Um, uh, let's but let's let's um let's go back to w- with your label. So what took you from obviously you were doing straw people stuff. What what made you start well so, so so straw people kind of from well it didn't it, it's never ended because ironically um there's a straw new straw people album in the works right now which is finished that i do play some play a little bit on and yeah i've had i've had a little pinky finger and um so that's i think it's coming out in august or something like that so that this this stuff happening there um but if i go back to the um 90s i left new zealand in 92 and um with eddie who was part of nemesis and my partner we went to new york and we spent five years in new york so there was kind of quite a chunky break there um that period for me was a lot of going out yeah from tunnel nightclub to crazy sound system and flatbush and all that kind of stuff so yet again a total re-up in terms of that sort of more um yeah global nightlife yeah sort of a, a another take on and just being really turned on by music again it was it was really awesome so and at that same time i was doing unitone hi-fi with remotely with with jim over here and we were signed to a german label so we kind of ended up touring europe and stuff like that so there was a lot of activity uh in that in that 90s period when i yeah and then coming back um in late 90s and connected with the cog guys which was a, a music collective which started in yeah 97 98 and ran until maybe 2005 when it all kind of sort of dissolved and um which is where reliable kind of came from yeah and cog was kind of a, it was like an umbrella organization yeah kind of or organization big, so, but a very big word but it was it was basically loose collective about 10 people um yeah some house heads some trans guys some people making breaks yeah and the, so and, and the early days of hip-hop uh scribe uh, p money uh, on the on the drum and bass scene, Concord Dawn's first stuff all came out of out of out of that world. So it yeah. was a very fertile period 
Um, so you weren't looking at it like there is something missing and I can I can make some money here possibly. No, nah, I, I mean, uh, yet again, more... it was, I mean, I kind of, yeah, like I really did other things for money until I was yeah, probably in my mid-30s. Uh, and then I got lucky. The way I made money out of music was fucking film comp. I, 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 got, I got some film work and TV work. And uh, actually, my, my very lucky break was I wrote, well, I produced the very first Pop Stars act, but I also wrote the theme song, which ended up traveling to Europe and the UK and North America. So I, I, I had a few years while my royalty. The, the TV got, show Pop Stars? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. That that was that was sold to the UK, right? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 totally. So, yeah. and then they uh, it was uh, what's his name who now does the voice and all that. Well, yeah. uh, America's Got Talent. That dude, he ended Carl. up buying. It. Yeah, he yeah. ended up buying it. And and the, 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 man. Oh, and on a side note, have you seen what he's done to his face? No, and, no. I, I so unfortunately, they didn't adopt. They didn't keep my music. But uh, yeah, for for I remember for for, for, for a couple of years, there was the theme yeah, song well, was my. Wasn't composition. there some funny story about how they were about to broadcast? Cast it and they thought, oh, hang on, we haven't paid a license. Oh no, no, it's, 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 it's worse than that. But you, you're totally right. The very first, the very first broadcast was um, they used um, M's um, uh, pop music. Yeah, pop pop music. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Cla- Radio, classic, video, classic, video. Classic, yeah. with a suitcase. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah. And uh, and apparently by all accounts, I mean I wasn't at the end of the phone call, but they got a phone call on the Monday. Go, oh, great show, guys! If you want to use that song again next week, it's going to cost you whatever that crazy amount of money. Uh, so I I, I I I cut that song in the afternoon just because they were they were desperate. Um, Amazing! So, yeah, These so, rolls of the dice, and that totally. was that was one of the things yeah. to find your career because it paid Absolutely. so many bills. And then, and then I got sort of super lucky. I sort of, I got, I got early on. I got introduced to a woman called Victoria Kelly, who's an amazing classical composer, and we collaborated on a lot of film scores. I brought the electronic stuff. She brought the, yeah, the genius. Yeah, yeah, she, amazing. So we worked together for a good five years on on different different projects. And same with uh, another uh, and at this overlappy similar kind of time, a guy called Anthony Gold, Anthony Iwasa who I'd actually worked with a decade earlier, kind of. Um, so there was a gap in the market for you guys to slot into pretty easily with, with the label? Oh, yeah, there, there was no one doing shit. Yeah. yeah, at that point, there was there was no... There, I'd say in that late 90s period, I would argue that we probably released the first house tunes in New Zealand. Oh, I think that there might have been something in... And so that's so Simon Greg had. What were you looking for an artist at that time? Like, uh, that, they just had like, to be from here. Yeah, yeah. House. Well, uh, yeah, and it was very much sort of like that. And it was almost about, hey, hey, who's doing, who's doing what? What have you got? Yeah. Uh, or come in the studio, let's make something. Yeah. Because uh, the first album, I probably had my hand in. Yeah, at least four or five of those productions. Yeah, either as mixing or yeah. So what? Can't, so can't are we talking at the the um, the algorithm CDs yeah, 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 here? Yeah, and, and, and the Sun album. Valley. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Those yeah. ones here. Yeah, right. and Sun Valley because uh, I lived um, um, in a place out in Calston at the time, and Sun Valley was a retirement village next to yeah next door. So it had a cute wooden sign. So we kind of used that as a as a bit of a moniker for for those releases. But that was kind of um, at that point I was kind of doing some composition work, and I had 
I could afford to kind of run the studio. So it was kind of a place where DJs could come. So like Roger Perry, Chelsea, Reed and Radley, all those guys were just kind of uh, cuffy. They would all hang out. And we we just make tunes, hang out. And so um, there, this was vinyl, right? All sold on vinyl? Uh, yeah, uh, that, yeah, a lot of that was on vinyl. Um, but the compilations were CDs. Yeah, and the compilations were Thank CDs. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, very true. Not USB? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> but, but vinyl was, a, but, yeah, was a, but even then was a total curse. Yeah, I mean, I, really? I mean I, it still breaks my heart, but I, Probably chucked out, yeah, yeah, multiple boxes of vinyl. Just if it didn't sell, it just sat there. You just got yeah. it stuck with it. Yeah, like it's, um, yeah. And actually, because the other reason why things changed for us as well, because in about I can't remember the exact year, two thousand and four, five, or whenever things kind of changed, drugs changed, everything changed. Also, our distributor kind of went belly up. So is this, a, uh, this the is most common story 100%, ever totally. for anyone doing totally. a label and in that area? And they were great. They, 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 they definitely <laughs> gave us some money. But yeah, yeah. We, I took it because, I, I mean, at that point, the cog transmissions thing had kind of faltered. So I was I was carrying a can financially myself. So this this was this is the reason why you stopped doing it. Uh, yes, not the sole one, but it kind of it was it was a contributing factor, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Follow up question: yeah. What are the other factors? I, I I I had a child. Yeah, that'll fucking <laughs> do it. The, the they, uh, and, and actually, but in all reality, I kind of I mean I was kind of in that sort of I was in that phase of life where, where things were changing a little bit for me, but also. Um, the club scene had changed quite a lot, and yeah, people. I was. I just. I, I just fell out of love. Hard on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it actually, in all reality, because I mean, for me, that, my reemergence into making club music that probably took me a better part of a decade to kind of feel get my passion back for it. Yeah, it, it yeah. happens to everyone. Though. Yeah, it happened to me. I stopped. I yeah. tried to stop. You can't. It's it's in you. If it's in you, it's in you. It's in you. Yeah, totally. I'm a life kids. Yeah, once you have kids, it's and it's a, it was actually the kids were almost. Yeah. A, my daughter was almost the minor thing because I, I I was really lucky because I could work from home anyway. I was doing yeah. I could be around, so it was not like I, that I, was yeah a major one. I, I find with the kids thing, what happens is you just you start because you just start listening to different stuff. Yeah, and more mellow stuff because you you're not partying and it's not and you're not DJing and your your kids just have a you're also a lot more compassionate. You've, you things are changing, stuff's getting softer inside your yeah. head, and it just has a everyone I know that it, it's not a bump in the road because it is a good thing, it, but it affects you massively. Yeah, man. and it, it it it's not that it takes away your passion. You are just like I can't. I, for me, it was like I can't give my all into this because I, I have well, to, to do this at the moment. That, 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 that's a huge part, and actually, because yeah, if I think back as well, it was also the yeah two thousand five six. I think Big Pop was started in two thousand six or seven, so like that's kind of everything. Um, and yeah, I sort of um, I got lucky. There was a guy called Malcolm Black who was a um, um, he was a A and R for Sony Music, and good great guy. Unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. But um, A and R guy, lawyer, one of those super smart onto dudes, and he he called me up and said, "Hey, I've got I've got a weird problem. I need some music produced. Can you do this?" And he kind of kicked a lot of stuff off for me here and for and for Big Pop in general, and my partnership with Chris, my my business partner Chris, and yeah. So on that note, what uh, you've started it back up again? What's the yeah, what so, kicked off the passion again? Well, I mean, there, there were multiple there were multiple reasons. I mean, the the catalog had an energy for me. Yeah, I mean, 
um, music is a kind of a connector for me and even um, so it's about relationships so a lot of those um, releases those early ones the, the early reliable ones were about hanging out making something or you know, being excited about what other people were doing and because that music had never been available outside of CD and vinyl it was it felt like it was time for it to kind of be in that digital space so um, and then the extension was yeah what what else did we do yeah it's very funny you say that because the most emotional thing I've ever done was when we were in lockdowns was um, wash all my vinyl because it hadn't mm. been pulled out in years and then did a stream of like all the early music I had on vinyl and it was like fucked like the memories that came I, know. I haven't played this in 15 years and you remember the people the faces the places that it was played the stories behind them and it was the most emotional thing it's, I've it's, ever such, done. it's such a powerful thing I, I i totally get that and um and and i think yeah the, having been in that process of working with someone or yeah the memory triggers i mean i keep looking at the synth just behind you too and that one's been in my family since since about 1988 so that's kind of that that has been that, that is on so many tracks and know, i'd like yeah. to say it's so nice that you're giving it to me um, yeah, yeah what <laughs> what uh, it's, it's a bit fucked but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you've outlined a reason to bring it back to bring back reliable it was quite a big news story actually mm, it was covered in all kinds of places and people are into it uh, but that, that, that's chris reed yeah he's he's great yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he worked it well so, but what's your vision? Where are you going to take that's it? A, that's a really good question. I actually got asked that the other day. And yeah, in an ideal world, you know, there's kind of multiple things in my mind. And I don't know if I can realize them all, but what I'm kind of seeding at the moment or planting little saplings is to work on that intergenerational thing. So I'd love for older, more experienced DJs, producers to kind of collaborate with younger ones and at the same time bring in a greater diversity into that space as well. And definitely, yeah, we need more women producers, we need more women engineers. Yeah, so I'm, I'd like it to use, yeah, to be that. Yeah, so then, and because I think what's happening yeah, out there in the world, and I don't step out enough anymore, but when I do, I'm almost really excited. There's some really cool people doing some really cool things stuff you know there's some great festivals there's some there's some great acts there's some great producers doing really cool stuff and just kind of figuring out how we you know, yeah yeah kind, kind, of, kind of connect that yeah. that's exactly that what i think as well like we have a responsibility as 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 we keep saying older but like in your 40s yeah, but we are yeah we are getting older <laughs> in clubbing terms in, in, in clubbing in musical terms, more terms more, let, let's call it more experience <laughs> it's true but the, the djs that we're talking about are in late 20s early 30s it's not that far far away meaning meaning the 14 years for me between them and me now goes like like that. oh yeah man it's, it's, so, it's really nothing uh, ages just whatever. and so yeah. when, when what i mean is guys like us uh and the and the older guys in the scene have a massive responsibility to show the young guys like you don't have to know how to do everything um we can help you like the if 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 we're not doing it, then also 
if we're not doing it and pushing ourselves, like you're saying, what's in the future, and you've, you've just outlined it, if we're not doing that and moving into those spaces, there's nowhere for the for the younger generation to come through and go. I agree. Yeah, yeah. We just get, what are we going to do? Just always keep DJing the same bars and clubs yeah. and stuff. Like we've got to we've got to push and evolve and push our personal artistry. Yeah, but I totally agree. And I, th- I think a few other things. I do see a few parallel universes happening if you look at the filth community or the queer community doing stuff i think that's really exciting what i'm really excited about is once all those worlds come together again because i think that's if you're looking at those 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 key moments of like say a punk or um the emergence of you know the rave scene of the late 80s or the techno explosion later I feel one coming on. Yeah, I, I do think those worlds will come together in a really awesome I, way. I think it's more likely to be a digital revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think blockchain, NFTs, I think that technology is an opportunity for music to be more collectible again and have a higher ticket price. In terms of how that manifests itself on the ground, it's harder for me to see... How yeah. it could. Um, it, I think that society is a lot more disparate than it was, i.e. people can find their tribe in a digital world first, rather than just going to a venue that their mate took them to and gave them their first pill or whatever. Yeah, but... And it comes down to all those... Exp- I totally agree, and, and, and I think, too, if you talk about music in particular, again, the fact that you can go onto any streaming platform and find pretty much any music you want. Yeah. Uh, the choices are overwhelming, but there's also no, dis- it, it also stops you from belonging to a tribe. When I grew up, you know, or, and you guys are probably the same, you know, there, were, there was a streaming music that I was into and everything else was shit. I didn't want to, I didn't yeah, deal yeah. with those people. Yeah, that, those are my, yeah. that was my tribe. Yeah. And I think, and I think that real myopic kind of way of yeah. looking at stuff is, 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 is one thing that's, and I do think that that's a community thing. Yeah. I, and, yeah. I, I often think, I often wonder like what would have happened if I'd lived in a flat where they were, Punk rockers. Oh, you could be the you could be a hair you, you could be a hair me- metal, yeah, right? Yeah, I could yeah. be a fucking lead guitarist <laughs> in the world's biggest. <laughs> it's just you guys holding yeah. me back. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what? So, what are you doing in in practice for to encourage uh, inclusivity, uh, diversity? Yeah, cool. Um, with big pop, I, th- I, th- I think in, 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 with with big pop in general is to kind of open the doors and be a really welcoming and inclusive space, uh, a non-threatening space. So I think even if I go back, and if, I know we in the precursor we talked about that a little bit when I started working in studios, um, they they were rough. Yeah, you know, they, they, they 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 weren't they weren't they were intimidating to anyone, let alone a young woman who wasn't too sure what they were doing or a person that was from another community um so i think it's the key is really kind of making that space and opening opening the doors and and, and demystifying a lot of the processes i mean i think and whether you're in in the dj side or the production side that doesn't really matter you just need to demystify shit but i also think i mean because like if you if you think about those moments for yourself uh slightly intimidating is that the right is yeah because i've I've thought about that a lot i mean I, i got I got beaten up. Like I've still got a fucking broken tooth and yeah, scar on my from getting the bash when I was seventeen because I kind of looked I was part of the wrong tribe. Mm. Um, 
was it the right thing? Do I want that for kids now? I don't want that for kids now. That was that was that was horrible. No, definitely uh, but, not. But but, but, but you know, but, like it, but it but if you're not pushed and you, it, it's the hardship that separates you from everyone hmm. else. Like without what I'd been through, I wouldn't be where you I wouldn't am be. Today. Yeah, totally. Now where you are is it's debatable in the food chain or whatever. But uh, I wouldn't have wanted it any other yeah. way. Like that makes me who I am. There's stories to tell and yeah. and um, things to cry about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so I, I just want to go back to yeah, go um, back. reliable records. Mm-hmm. And at the time when it was at its peak, let's say late 90s, did you notice that there was a New Zealand inflection on the house music? It's a, that's a really good question. And I think if, if you'd asked me back then, I would have said no, because we were striving to be similar to what what was happening elsewhere. Um, but I think if I look back now, and purely because of our location and our limitations, probably, and our lack of knowledge and guardianship or guidance from yeah, from people who knew better, um, I think there is, yeah, if that makes sense. I think there's something that feels quite unique. And that's... That's not necessarily flattering always, uh, uh, but there's definitely something there. But it was nothing, yeah, what I really liked about that period and definitely the late 90s, and there was, yeah, there's a couple of clubs like um, yeah, The Box and Calibre, which was, uh, The Box was downtown, Calibre was on K Road. There was nothing better than hearing a DJ drop a local tune. That was, that was the yeah. biggest buzz for me. Going, okay, they're accepting it. The dance floor is heaving. They're accepting it. And, that was the biggest, the biggest win, uh, where that, where no one had to know that that was a local tune, but the fact that it was being played mm. and it was appreciated in that way it was it was it was amazing. So I, I asked that because uh, just me off the boat. I've been here for three, four months, and I've been at some great parties. I've seen some excellent DJs. The entertainment is just as good as I would get on a dance floor in Ibiza or in London, Manchester, Newcastle, whatever. But I haven't noticed anything quintessentially Kiwi about the music that I'm hearing. Maybe it's because I don't know what I'm looking for, but I I expected to to notice something. And I did. It's a very good call. But but things have have changed massively, man. Uh, the, 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 like... 2000s, the the Kiwi music, and this goes back to what the fuck happened in the mid 2000s. The Kiwi music thing was everywhere, and and it was and it was supported over every other music. And I find now that in the stuff that I, it's not there anymore. It's not like the 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 remixes of Fat Freddy's or or Kiwi producers. There there was a uh, CD mix series by Loop that was like all this amazing music by by Kiwi producers, and and that would sneak into people's sets. But also, I think that because of the internet, we're so well connected. If you're making house and techno, you're not going to be like, I want to make a Kiwi tune because the peak is German. Techno, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, so, do do you agree with this? Oh, no, I, totally, I, t- I totally agree with you on that. And um, um, I think if you're looking for quintessential Kiwi stuff, I think you have to look in more in the more pop Pacifica reggae kind of vibe. You know, from your 
uh, yeah, tomorrow people three houses down to all the way to 660. That's possibly a very unique New Zealand sound. Um, I think, and I, but I totally agree with what you're saying. I think the other thing that happened too, in definitely in club music in general, yeah, in, in the wider sense, is that because we could basically access. But if I go back to yeah, you go back to that '90s period. You, you go to the record shop, and there might be two or three copies of that 112. That yeah, if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. So you didn't have that point of reference. Whereas now you can, you, but, you can find music anywhere and kind of listen to it all. So I think that point of reference is yeah, what, what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, you're also. I think you're pretty skewed, Mike, because you're hanging out with. Oz and we live and breathe house and techno and you've been coming to our gigs and we mm. we look at the outside we don't look to New Zealand for the peak of it because it's not well not yeah but you but 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 your gigs the kind of entertainment that's on offer if I was a if I was regularly DJing at them I'd want to be playing stuff that that had local unique, references yeah. Well, yeah but would you but, but, notice but, but, but do you, would you yeah would you notice you, do you get that do you get that in Ibiza or Manchester or London are they are they really specific kind of, sort yeah. of sounds yeah you get you get bits of that now bits, it's, yeah. it's not it's not that easy to to notice unless you know but, but is, yeah. is, is is that is that around communities again like and i'm thinking maybe whatever is happening in bristol is possibly different to what's happening in london because of the collective of producers and djs that that kind yeah. of you know, yeah. hang out it, in those spaces it, you can you can trace a timeline mm. to when it was more obvious but it's just it's a continuation yeah. My, and what you've both said is that there seems to have suddenly been this stop yeah, I, I think I, I think there's something else which is I always say which is that the we have a problem now where our sets are creeping in hour and a half is the norm um, we're all competing for hour and a half and, and you and the and the long set is gone I, I firmly believe that when you give a good DJ six or twelve hours you can tell where they're from. You can be like, I get you, you're a punk kid. Mm. I can tell where you're influenced, or you're a you trip-hop yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, you, you can, can listen to me over six yeah, hours yeah, and yeah, go, totally. oh, I can tell that your influences were, were yeah. rock and dub and trip-hop yeah. because that, the way that you play and the And, and the even the, you, what you might be dropping in. Yeah. Totally, man. yeah. yeah and the samples you're using, you'll get like, oh, they, they, he's a, that's where he's from. It's like listening to Drake and it's like, he's a pure, pure, you can tell he's a pure product of like Detroit. Detroit, Detroit yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, it's hard to do in an hour and a half, man. Yeah. The, the only, the only, and it, the, is that, is, is that that whole cult of personality? Yeah. That we talked about the, the only, yeah. the only person I know that would drop their New Zealand flavor in their sets would be, um, Yannick, young Yannick. Mm -hmm. He would play a set that's, that you could, that has a strong Kiwi influence. Um, but and, and, also, and, and, and but how how would you describe what that is? It's but it, sometimes well it depends because he, he I've heard him play and it's it has a strong Chicago jacking flavor, yep. like the Philippa flavor. But when he played for us at Almond, it was borderline soul and funk with a house beat. Yep. Like and it was a lot of it didn't have a strong kick drum. Yeah, uh, I would argue if it was even house music but but a lot of kiwi influence yeah which is great that's what i fucking want out of actors yeah like, totally, that's yeah. your that's your sound yeah. man because you, you you want you want that journey and that diversity yeah. and all that stuff yeah for sure man mm. so final word to yoast the people you're working with at the moment you know would you like to big them up who should we be looking out well for? i mean uh, in, in terms of the um yeah on the on the on the on the house tip i mean i'm doing a bit of work with um uh, an actual 
a jazz musician called Michal Martinuk. Uh, we've done a bunch of remixes with him, for him, with him. Um, I like the extreme musicianship married with, yeah, unmusicianship mm. and yeah, but but feel and groove and vibe. Uh, so th that's a, that's a really happy place. I think on the, more on the big pop side. I mean, I'm doing a lot of work with an, uh, an artist called Chai, who's dropping an album this year. Um, Persian fucking party music whatever it's 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 going to be a blast persian fucking party yeah. music is that a new genre uh, I, th I think it is <laughs> oh yes yeah. she comes more from the hip-hop side but kind of yeah it's it's this whole thing is uh elevated something else yeah it's um and then yeah this man uh, it's called juju lips just about to pick off what a yeah there's a few names. yeah i know right yeah uh but but one thing and one thing that i'd like to encourage more because one of the sneaky things i like to do is when i work with younger artists um, okay. oh, that's this could go very uh, a way we're not sure <laughs> no that's that's okay that's fine it's, it's, it's a safe zone uh, uh but if i'm yeah working working with them in in in, in a, in a in an executive producer role, like I'm not even hands on, but I go, oh, that's a pretty, can I borrow your, can I grab that acapella? <laughs> and I'll do them a little sneaky remix or something, just a little teaser. And But it's also an invitation to go, actually, yet again, talk about an intergenerational kind of pollination of going, actually, yeah, that would actually make a banging house tune. Uh, yeah, with yeah, a snippet of your vocal or the whole vocal or something like that. So it's kind of, that, that's my happy place, yeah. Being the conduit yeah, being for the, the old and the new. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And on that note, finally for me, oh. we started with breakfast. Uh, <laughs> Juiced isn't a Kiwi name, obviously. It fasc one of my fascinating. And it's not me. even his name. It's Yost. Yo Juiced. Yost. <laughs> That's a couple of beers there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Big J. Yeah. It fascinates me. Countries Christmas lunches. So, for example, I'm, I'm my parents are British. The traditional British lunch of roasts and and the Christmas pud is huge, and it and it affects who I am. Yeah, my wife is roast meat with salads, which is what the fuck are you doing? That's not a Christmas lunch. Where where you hail from? What's what's the uh, well? Uh, I'm from Holland, so like it's uh, and 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 Christmas is an odd one because uh, the whole ceremony around gift giving and stuff like that in in the netherlands i should say around the holland because that's uh, uh, no longer um the right thing to do sits on the 6th of december which is saint nicholas day so like uh, oh. so christmas is actually yeah um and actually yeah, i kind of grew up in a, in a in a fairly religious kind of environment uh, you go to mass at midnight and then you eat breakfast and breakfast really consisted of uh fried donut kind of things called olibola and, and 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 uh, uh, a fruit loaf with uh, with sort of a uh, an almond paste filling, um, and then there's a lot so so the actual meals. salad free, I yeah. will say. But hang on, that's but that's fried that's surely, great, that's yeah. surely not Christmas dinner though, right? <laughs> no, that's not dinner. No, so that's that's the breakfast. Uh, right. we're, we're back at breakfast, really. Yeah, is, and dinner. Dinner. But dinner. But so is that the, more important than the the dinner? On Christmas Day? Yeah, I think so, because there, there, there wasn't, well, definitely my personal experience, there wasn't any consistency around the actual dinner part. Um, there could have been anything, um, yeah, like a roast chicken or something like that. Yeah, 
So his, his Christmas dinner has not defined who he is, on, unlike, <laughs> unlike you. But, well, what's how, how about what, you? Yours, Mike? Yeah. Mike? Talk, talk to me. I've not been defined by a Christmas dinner, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. The, 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 I think the best, the best Christmas dinner I ever had, because it was a bit out there, Pigeon for starter. Ooh. Like, I mean, there's not much of a pigeon. No, they're quite but, little, right? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, the fact that it was even on offer um, <laughs> on a council estate in the northeast of England, <laughs> I was constantly, I would constantly ask for slightly swanky out there meats and my dad would just say oh it's just a bit like chicken michael yeah. only there's less of it and he was right <laughs> like as an adult i had things like guinea fowl quail rabbit Fe- pheasant probably yeah pheasant's yeah. a little bit more yes pheasant can be a bit better but it can also be really dry so yeah, I, I, yeah, I I always wanted to experiment with Christmas dinner. Actually, I like that. I like that. And actually, yeah, that's like probably you. one of my one of my favorites, which is a Christmas dinner here or a lunch, really. Yeah, because it's uh, in the yeah in the in, in the in the in the in the summer summer times. Yeah, uh, a Russian a Russian style borscht. Yeah, gravlax salmon and stuff like that. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so you've been not it contaminates everything. That's a, yeah. I'm not a fan of the the, the uh, and calling it borched does not make it more <laughs> fancy. And this is where we faded out. Yeah. So that was that. First episode in the can. Let's start with the most important thing, Ozzy, and what a scoop we've got ourselves. Joost Langeveld keeps bees. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a fellow. Uh, pretty speechless after that. Um, high achiever uh, and humble. Yeah, yeah, he was very sound. And we got the straw people explanation as well. Um, I've not seen or heard him talk much about that in interviews before. So, you know, it was really good to hear his take on it and how he thought that infamous gig wasn't even that bad. <laughs> Yeah, they still never played it ever again. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think we did we did prod that angle with him there, but you know, we'll um, we'll let it pass. He's lending us his studio. Yeah, so. there was no front page articles there. I was hoping for, but um... <laughs> there were some bigger issues on this, which I want to tackle. You know, tackle with you. As much as we may have gone off on one during the interview. Um, we did have some respect for the guest in that we didn't want to have the full debates between ourselves. So now is the time to do it. So we were talking to Yost and there was a point where everyone agreed there's too much music out there. And yet you admit the standard of the music has gone up. So you, what's the problem? I, in my personal opinion, across genres, um, the, st- the standard and quality of music has gone up. But it's the lack of ideas that's the problem. So you can... This is in my world, which is the DJ world. You can hear DJs play absolutely amazing polished music that make the sound system hum, but sing me back the vocal or or sing me back a hook and no one can. It's like a wall of perfectness. That's my opinion. Uh, Well, what would you want to hear? Do you want to hear a wall of perfectness or a wall of cleverness? Well, I want to hear a wall of cleverness, but I do. Like, yeah, like I, and I have done ever since I've been into the scene. I've not really noticed much difference in standard. 
I mean, I've noticed better mastering and obviously like and fatter be beats down the years, but that's more like sound quality rather than artistic quality. But I've not, I've not really felt that the artistic quality of the music that I play has gone down. Put it this way, our shared love of uh, 90s house that was on the radio, how many of those do we sing along in the car when we hear a little vocal loop? Like all the time, yeah. all the time. It, it, it flicks something in our mind that we'll go, hey, that doesn't happen with modern, modern music. But maybe our ears aren't open to it. But let's get back to the point of there being too much music out there, all right? Why? Well, if there's too, it's oversaturation. Like, how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to make money in a market where there's a uh, hundred thousand house releases every week? Yeah, yeah. Like the spe and you've got to say with that the specialness is gone. Now, at the same time, um, it's amazing that you can be a young DJ and learn some basic tools on Ableton and get your foot in the game pretty quickly if you work hard. That's amazing and, and, and shouldn't be taken away from. Um, but people can't get through 100. It's just too much. Too much of a good thing. It takes away specialness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. Um, but and, and Yo said that most of his artists have to do other things for money. But so did he. It's uh, quite in, in bits of his career. Like he, I think there was only a small moment in time where he made enough money from credible underground music. Right, but the thing with this is you're still allowed to be upset about it. You're still allowed <laughs> to be, hey, my, some of my heroes have had to have a day job, even though, in my mind, they're, they're absolute legends and make amazing music and they shouldn't they should be rich in my mind remember mike it's only recently that i that i thought that anyone on beatport was fucking owned a yacht in ibiza like I've, it's only like the rug's been pulled out of me where it's like ah oh. and and this is and this is from hanging around with years and years of people that make music and are successful in their craft mm. like something in my brain was not not i thought everyone was fat boy slim um so but all right, but why is uh, sorry to ask the same style of question? It again, is repetitive. But why but is it? On. But why is it a problem if artists in the past struggled to get by, but the art form was still enjoyable? Why should we have a living out of it? Why do we deserve a living out of it? But, but it's anyone in any craft, Mike. If you're a fucking bin man and you work hard, you you should be, you should have success. Like you don't. No one writes a movie about someone working hard for 20 years and then coming out with nothing at the end. Well, there's probably a few movies like yeah. that. But you know, the general hero's arc. Uh, and seeing the love and passion that my friends put into their, to their art and work, and it shouldn't be for nothing. And, it, and I would argue that, um, that things have been put on the artist that shouldn't be on the artist. DJs shouldn't be having to self-promote themselves. Um, the the job of a promoter is, uh, and for reasons whatever, like I'm a promoter as well. I know how fucking hard it is. It shouldn't be put on the DJ. The DJ should be working on his craft and making music. Mm. Uh, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have to. Shouldn't have to be learning how to market himself and drag two hundred people to make a hundred dollars. But then the, the the person who owns the bar or club would say, well. Why, why should they? But again, why should they do it? But again, this is the there's a, there, you've got to draw the line between 
bar culture and club culture. There's a, there's a, there is a difference. Like, this is what I keep saying. Uh, uh, there's, there should be bar, in my opinion, and and you can you can be both. You, you can walk the line, but there should be bar DJs and there should be club DJs. And club DJs get paid because there's a door charge, and bar DJs get pa- paid out of the bar because there's no door charge. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can see the logic there. Right. No further questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you all for listening, folks. Uh, we will see you again soon. Bye.